Well, good morning again, and Happy New Year. Well, I feel like the enemy is trying to disrupt things, and um, good start, an uh, interesting start to the morning uh, already, but that's okay. Guess what? Uh, the Lord is the one who's in charge. Thank God. Amen. I know that. You know, after 16 years as a pastor, going on 17 this March, I still walk up here with fear. When it, to, the, to the pulpit. I still come up here and just pray for the Lord to speak through me and to be able to allow me to communicate uh, the ideas that I contemplated and considered uh, all week. And uh, the opportunity to speak with you on uh, the first day of the year, which doesn't happen often, does it? Uh, Sunday, January 1st, offers me also the opportunity to talk to the church, to, to, to each and every one of you, this, this ministry, about what the Lord has uh, put on my heart. And I think it's an interesting, not just as individuals, which, you know, that, that's important too, because we walk with the Lord, and the Lord calls each of us one by one, right? But then he puts us into a body like this, the collection of believers. And he does so with a purpose. And so one of the things that I think is important for us to do is to consider um, uh, what, what we learned from last year and what we can do with the coming year from those lessons. Amen? Um, how many of you are good at doing self-evaluation? To examine yourselves, right? I think we should. I think it's healthy. So, uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. All right? Um, we're giving thanks to the Lord because uh, another year has passed, another year of life has passed. Uh, 2022 ended yesterday and it's part of history. And for some of you, maybe you're happy about that. For others of you, maybe you can look back and say, hey, it was a great year. Either way, it's history, right? But in spite of the fact that 2022 is gone and behind us, and now 2023 lies before us, it lies before us with all of its potential, amen, and um, all of the hope that we have for it in the Lord, I would say, amen. So uh, we made it through um, not only 2022, I'm going to say from the very first day of 2023 that we made it through 2023. I learned that from my pastor 40 years ago when I sat uh, listening to God's word and just trying to receive as much as I could because I was a new believer. I, I never forgot that. Uh, on the first day of the year or the first service, the first Sunday of the year that the pastor would say. And I was expecting him to say, we made it through 2022. How about that? We made, no, no. He would say, we made it through 2023. Well, whatever the year was then, but now I'm saying that. How many of you know that if you hang on to the Lord by faith, 
Trust the Lord that you're going to make it through 2023. Already. Yeah. You're going to make it. Because look, we made it through 2022 and it's gone. Now, now, whatever product or results or consequences that we have from that, that's another story. So I think as a church, it's healthy uh, to look back and reflect on our experiences and the lessons learned, don't you? I had plenty of lessons that I learned individually as a person and as a pastor. Many lessons I've learned. I think more importantly, not just only to reflect on the past, but to look to the future and to consider what God's will is for us and to thank him for the blessings that he's going to give us in the, in the future. So today, I think as a church, um, I trust that what I'm going to say to you will encourage you. That's the intent. Uh, because uh, you are involved with, when you come to church, when you're a member of the body of Christ, you're involved with the greatest work that is being done in the world. Amen. And that's, guess what? Serving the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the greatest thing you could be doing because not only does it have at the moment, in the very moment, in the now, as we would say, uh, blessings, but it also has eternal consequences. Amen? So what we're doing matters. We hear a lot about nowadays of what matters, you know, so much the last couple of years, you know, black lives matters. I'm not arguing about that. Men matter. I hear a lot of that right now. Women matter, children matter, dogs matter, cats matter. Well, I don't know about that one. Someone here a cat lover, sorry, my bad. <laughs> anyway, you know what really matters? Serving Jesus Christ. You know why? As I said, because it has not just present blessings, but it has eternal consequences. And we as the church have the opportunity to serve God and to discover how he wants us to serve him. Right? That's the challenge. How does he want us to serve him? And so, um, you know, serving the Lord is a wonderful, wonderful thing if we understand what it is and how God does it through us. The most amazing thing about serving God is that he has chosen to use us. And how many of us know that he doesn't have to? Because he spoke and the universe leapt into existence out of nothing. He doesn't need anything. Right? He, he could do things without us, but he has chosen to include us. And when he called his disciples, when he called those that would be his apostles... Right? He set them on a course to where he said in Acts, and that's what we're going to look at in a minute. He set them on a path to where he said, your purpose is to be witnesses. And the word witness comes from the Greek martyr. Our lives are surrendered to Christ. 
Amen? That's, that's what we are. So no matter how uplifting it is to serve him or how difficult the work is, and believe me, as I speak to you from behind this pulpit, it's not easy serving the Lord, especially as a pastor. But in whatever capacity you serve, you need to understand that it's a privilege, that it's an honor to serve him. And I will say we should give the Lord the best of ourselves. We should give him 100% of our hearts, minds, souls, and strength, as he said, because we're to love him with all our minds, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all of our lives. He deserves that. Because when he made a commitment to us, and in Jesus, when the Father made a commitment to us through his Son, his sacrifice was 100%. It wasn't 90, it wasn't 99.5, it was 100%. He was 100% committed to us. And so the least we could do in response to his grace and salvation is give him 100% of ourselves. Amen? So, what I want to do today is I want to look at a Bible example, a biblical example. And I want us to kind of revisit and or if we're not aware of it, discover Uh, what the early church understood about serving God, about ministry, and what it did to be or to being a servant of God. All right? Now, I'm going to emphasize this, and it's something I learned also from my pastor. And it's important. The fact of the matter is, and listen to this part because I think it's going to establish the rest. We are not volunteers in the kingdom of God. We are servants in the kingdom of God. There's a big difference. There's a big difference, right, George? One thing is, oh, I volunteer. Well, that's the problem in the church. (laughs) You're not a volunteer. Because as a volunteer, after all, what kind of commitment do you have? I mean, after all, you're just volunteering. No, we're servants. And I'll take it even further. Paul says we're slaves of Christ. By choice. When we surrender, when we take up our cross. Taking up your cross in the Roman world was a, a, uh, had the, uh, the blunt and direct message of death. It was a cruel way. That when you took up your cross, you were surrendering your life. You were giving your life in sacrifice. And we saw it last week where Paul says in Romans 12.1 that we're to what? To offer or to give our lives as a living sacrifice. We do it in life as well as in death, as some have actually given their lives in service of the Lord. So, today I want to talk about being a servant of God. Amen. And I hope you consider and see yourself as a servant of God. Amen. I hope so. It's such a wonderful, quiet group here. I wish my classes at the high school were as quiet as you guys. They don't stop talking, and I'm the one being drowned out by others. So you guys are awesome. So I'm going to have you stand with me as we look at Acts 3, 1 through 10. It's a story of a man that was lame from birth. And uh, Peter and John encounter this man. I think it's a wonderful story because it gives for us, um, I think, four basic elements for serving the Lord or for ministry, okay? And the story itself 
describes these things, these concepts that I'm going to break down to you. So it says this, Acts 3, 1 through 10. should be up on the screen too. There you go. It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, they asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, and as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's do this. Let's pray for the sermon. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you again. First and foremost for the new year and this first day. Thank you, Lord, because we had the, um, the desire, Lord, to come today to uh, worship you, to hear your word, Lord, to fellowship with one another, to... Uh, listen and to discover and to revisit, Father, what it means to be a servant of the Most High King. What it means to minister, to serve others, to serve you. Uh, that's what we want for this year, Lord. As I see as the pastor, Lord, a great need in that area. And for growth and opportunity and potential for us, Lord. And we ask all these things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I was saying, yeah, we can look back. Someone told me this week, you realize your pastor has friends. <laughs> I have close friends, friends that I've had for 50 years, Christian friends. So sometimes I talk to them about you guys. You know, it's always good to get a, a perspective from someone else. And these are good, wholesome Christian brothers that will just tell me the truth. I mean, after all, I'm just Bob. Bob from seventh grade. Yeah, before I was a pastor. Before I was even walking with the Lord. They know me. And so I share with them. And uh, one of the things that I was told... And it's interesting because it's not the first time. It is my friend who I love dearly and would trust him with my life, Joe. He told me, you're too hard on yourself. And I just stood quietly and I said, thank you, Lord. That's what I needed to hear. Because the hard work has already been done for Christianity. It's been done by Jesus. Why are we working so hard for something that we receive by grace? Something that's free. 
Why are we working so hard for results that God's hand can bring about and God's will can bring to pass simply because it's his will and it's his hand and it's his power? So I took it at heart. And so as your pastor, I want to say this to you. Don't be so hard on yourself. But do, but do this. Evaluate your experiences from last year. And like I tell my students, I never say, hey, and if you have an F, because I ask them to write me a, uh, a final essay on the last day of the year for, during finals of the end of a semester. I, I don't say, hey, tell me what uh, you need to do uh, to improve your Fs. I just say, tell me what you need to do to improve your academic performance. And they always write a self-evaluation. Well, I need to stop talking. I need to be to class on time. I need to actually turn in my homework. They tell me what they need to do. They know what they need to do. And then I also ask them to balance out this evaluation. What have you done successfully? Explain to me how you did it. What it is that you're doing that brings you success. And they'll always tell me what it is. Well, I'm doing my homework. I'm studying before tests. I'm coming to class on time. I'm not go They'll tell you. Everybody will tell you. Guess who knows you better than you? No one on this plane except one on the vertical plane, the Lord. Isn't it it's awesome to live transparent before the Lord? And so there's nothing wrong with doing a self-evaluation as an individual and as a church. And one of the things that I believe this church needs to do is we need to learn to be better servants. And that's not being hard on you. That is giving you the opportunity to consider the greatest blessing and, and the greatest vocation. The greatest thing you could be doing is joining God and what He's doing. So I challenge you with that for this year as a church as your pastor. It's one of my goals too. To be a better servant for the Lord. So let's do this. Um, to define ser servanthood or to define ministry or what it means to serve, uh, we've, we've got to have a working definition. That's kind of like the beginning of a lesson plan. Right, so I'm going to do the same with you. So ministry or serving the Lord takes place. It happens when divine resources, where are the resources coming from? From God. Meet human needs. God's resources meet human needs. Do you think there are some human needs out there? Yeah, but one of the things you have to do is you have to see them and react to them. And so ministry or serving God takes place when divine resources meet human needs through, listen, through loving channels. There has to be love involved in our serving God and for the glory of God. We're not doing it to get credit. We're doing it for God's glory. You want God to be glorified. The, that's the motivation. But it's through loving channels when you see human needs, and I'm doing this one backwards now, and you realize that divine resources are available for that person. And guess who has them? You do. With the presence of the Holy Spirit in your heart in your life. You have access 
to those resources that a needy world has. Now let me say something about needs. As a, as a Christian, you start to run into certain terms that are they're part of the Christianese vocabulary. And then you will hear some people say, have you, uh, what are your felt needs? Well, the needs you feel. Well, those are wonderful, but because we're limited beings, we don't know everything. We're living just in the here and now. And sometimes our feelings can deceive us, right? So, that's okay, I guess, if you, you, know, you feel hungry and you know you need to eat. That's, that's it. But I'm trying to take this to a totally different level. What are your perceived needs? Well, I mean, they can only be perceived because we only know so much about everything. So, but the bottom line at the end of the day is God knows what you really need. He will supply all your needs, it says in the scriptures, according to his riches and glory. He will, not he might, he's considering it, he's mulling it over, he's uh, t thinking about it. He will supply all your needs, not your felt needs, not your perceived needs, your needs needs. The ones you really have, that the Holy Spirit knows about because he knows everything about you. He will supply all your needs according to his riches in heaven. So, Let's look at the story real quick. There's four things that I find interesting. It says, Peter and John went up to, together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So what we know about Peter and John and what we know about anyone that's a servant of God is that they first have to know Christ and to know his divine resources personally. You have to know Christ before you can make him known. Right? I mean, that sounds like so basic, but you can't give what you don't have. Right? So there's a, a bank, there's a shelf full of gifts that you may have in your life, a room full of... But how do you use them if you don't know how God is dealing with you in your life? So you have to know Christ in order to make Him known, and you have to know His resources personally. How many of you have been blessed by God's resources? Thank you, Sarah. I'm glad you're awake. I just said something powerful. How many of you looking back, and that's what I was telling you on the first day of the year, you can look back and reflect on your experiences on, on what you have lived, and you know God's resources because you actually have personally been received them. Well, let's just talk about God's love just to make it basic. But God so loved the world. How, how many of you are those that understand God's love and God's grace and God's mercy and God's healing power, God's provision? All of those things are part of what I'm talking about. We are to know him that is Christ as our Savior and as Lord of our life. And in knowing Him, you also experience and know His divine resources in a personal way. Hey church, this is personal. And if you received it, then as a Christian, you have this opportunity to also share what you've received. By the way, whatever you share is not yours. It's something given to you. So you don't have to worry about what you have. God will give it to you. And He has. These are, these are consistent men. 
These are men that know God in a way in which they would go up to the temple on the ninth hour. Now, it starts at 6 in the morning, so nine hours from 6 is 3. So they're headed up at 3 p.m., right? But they were in, according to Jewish customs, uh, the, the prayer time uh, was every day at 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m. They would go up. They were going up at 3 p.m. They would stop whatever they were doing, and they headed to the temple where they spent an hour in prayer. That's what, this is from the Jewish, devout, devout Jewish customs of that day. So we, do they know God? Well, we know that they're praying to him. And what did they do for that hour? I was reading, and they, they would spend an hour in prayer, 15 minutes in just silent meditation. Have you done that lately? In your commitment to the Lord. Just don't turn off your phone. Put that away. Close your door. And just meditate. Just consider and acknowledge the Lord for 15 minutes. Then they would take 30 minutes of petitions. Prayer or in this case intercessory prayer. Petitioning. Asking of God. And then 15 minutes of adoration where they would be praising God. That's what they did. When they were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at 3 o'clock, these are devout men of God. Okay? I think it's kind of a neat way to pray if you don't have a, a way to do it. most important way to pray is to be led by the Spirit. But if you're going to have a pattern, maybe this one might work for you. I don't know. So they would meditate on God's greatness. They would meditate on God's goodness. And then, having done that, they were confident enough then to bring up their request to God. And no doubt, praise God. After having meditated on Him. After having made petitions to Him. So these are men of God who knew Christ. So it wouldn't be too big of a leap to where they would go to the second movement in this story or the second part of ministry or serving is having known God and having experienced his resources they would share them you can't hold on to them church you can't hoard God's blessings you, because here's the way God works he will use you as a conduit as a channel to bless others, but you have to be willing to give what you receive. Have you done that? Give what you've received. No, man. Those are my hundred dollars. They're for me. Exclusively. I'm not sharing it with anybody. Well, then that's all you'll ever have in God's system and in how God operates through ministry. You're just an aqueduct through which water flows. So, Peter and John, they knew Christ. They, they, they knew of his resources. They were prayer warriors, if you would. They meditated. They, uh, they brought their petitions up to God. They worshiped God. And so now they saw a man with a great need. This man that was lame physically lame but also spiritually dead so we have to also consider as Christians that there's 
dimensions in the needs of people. Some are just physical needs. I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I'm cold, I'm hot. My, the big toe on my right foot hurts. That's physical needs. Then there are spiritual needs, which are different. But, and more real than physical needs, because physical needs are temporary for this life. But spiritual needs have what again? Eternal what? Consequences. Okay, so they see this man with, a, with great need. They gazed at him, it says. If you look at that passage, if you look at the verse, right? They see him and they see his need. Okay? Do you see needs of people around you? There's a whole community out here. That needs Christ. I don't have to go to Zimbabwe. I don't have to go to Malaysia. I can just go right outside the doors of Cross Point Community Church here on Acacia and Walnut and walk a few yards, and there are people in this neighborhood that need salvation. Well, God bless them. God bless them. Yeah, he's going to use you to do so. Or wherever it is you meet people. So they saw the, this, this need. They gazed at him. And then they did something really interesting, which I would wonder if you would do this. You had the confidence to do it and the, the knowledge to do it because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because you know him and you know his resources. They said to him, oh, we see you. We see your need. We see that you're hungry. We see that you're uh, cold. We see that you're wet, standing outside of Best Buy. We see that you're coming over, trembling, asking for money. What are you going to do about it, though? It's like you see someone cold. I think James was saying when he's arguing that faith without works is dead. He said, if you see your brother cold and you don't offer him a, a jacket, what good is it for you to tell him, God bless you? If you see someone who's hungry and you don't offer him food, well, what good is it for you to say, eh, may Jesus bless you? Blessings. We just kind of go again, I'm saying, into this mechanical, robotic, ritualistic, ceremonial type of a religion where we say the right things. I'll pray for you. You know that, Sister Sarah? I'm going to pray for you. And then I never pray for her and even think about her anymore. And I see her the next week and I go, I prayed for you, you liar. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that's all of us all the time. Don't look at me funny. I'm just saying don't be so spiritual in front of the eyes of others. Be better for you to whisper in their ears or for you to say it in your heart and go do it pray for you. So anyway, they gazed on him, and then they turned around, and this is interesting. They looked at him, but then they said something to him, because they were confident about the Lord they served. They knew him and his resources, and they said, hey, look at us. We have something you need. That, that's confidence. You walk up to somebody and say, hey, forget about Johnny come lately and Johnny Appleseed or whatever, whatever Johnny out there. Forget about them. Look at me. Look at us. 
Pay attention to what I'm going to tell you. Because what we have are the words of life. Do we know that? You know, there is a place where Paul said this is something like that. A confidence to say what Paul said. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. Easily what John and Peter were saying is, look at us as we look at Christ. You've got to look at Christ first before you ask others to look at you. You've got to follow Christ first before you ask them to follow you. But do you see how this is working out? So these were men that were compassionate. These were men that had a sensitivity. Right? And they knew the one. That's with the capital O. O-N-E. The one. They knew the one that could make him whole. They knew the one that could heal him. So they said, hey, look at us. We got something we want to share with you. We have something we want to give you. Have you given the gift of salvation? At least in this message to someone lately? That's what we're called to do, church. So when they saw this man, I guess they could have said... They could have said, hey, we don't have time. We have to start praying in the temple. I mean, after all, we got something more important to do, to pray. We got holy things to do. We just, we, we, we're going we're to go pray. But if you didn't look at the guy who's lame and in need first, it's kind of like the Good Samaritan. He did the opposite of what the Levite and the priest did. The Levite and the priest, one was coming from the temple... So he had spent a whole amount of time at the temple, probably tired of serving, and the other one was going to the temple. And so both of them walked right by the Samaritan that was laying there, or the, the man that was laying in the road. And the good Samaritan, who's not religious because he's one of the Samaritans were considered by the Jews to be enemies, he's the one to stop and minister and dealt with the one who had been robbed and beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. So, but the preacher or the pastor or the Bible school teacher, man, we got no time to look at people's needs. We got to go to Bible study. We got to go pray because we're holy. <laughs> so that, that's not Christianity. This, this guy here that we just saw his need, he interrupting us. He's bothering our schedule. Our schedule. I'm trying to be fancy. Like the English. Our schedule. Like James Bond says it. Yeah, I watch James Bond movies. I love James Bond. I like spies. They could have said, we, don't, we ain't got no time for you. Or in Spanish... As Rick Dees used to say, and now I'm aging myself, yo no tengo tiempo para ti. I don't have time for you. Because we're going to pray at the temple. No, 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 no. That's not what happened. That's not what happened at all. They realized what we must all learn, church, and that is that interruption, what we may perceive to be interruption, is often God's divine inspiration. We need to allow God to have room in our lives for those moments where He wants to work through us. But we've got to see the need. And it's okay to stop. And it's okay to share. And it's okay to give what you've been given in Christ.
little bit different way of ministering and looking at serving God, huh? It's a little bit different way, but it's biblical. Right? Then what do they do? The next part of ministry, they shared God's power with him. They became channels of God's mighty resources as what we were leading to. This lame man simply wanted some financial support. He was asking for alms. He was begging. His friends brought him there every day. And then he would probably get enough money to support him. And that's exactly what he was doing given the condition that he was in. He was lame. It was reasonable. He had no other option. There's a lot of people that have needs and they find themselves in those positions and those circumstances beyond their will or it's not their fault or they, they have no other choice but to, to beg. Right? At least in the case of this man who's handicapped physically. It says the man was lame from birth being carried. So he had been carried by his friend. They laid him daily at the gate of the temple, which was called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. He was asking, he was begging for, for money. That's what he was doing. And he would never know that he was about to encounter and receive something he would never expect. That's how it works when we serve God. And it, we know that Peter said something powerful and he responds compassionately to this man. Hey, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk and, ri and arise up and walk. <coughs> Peter didn't have any money. He didn't have any financial resources at the moment to be able to give to this individual. He wasn't part of the name and claim it pastors. Blab it and grab it pastors. You don't mean you don't drive a limousine or you... What do you mean, pastor, you don't drive a Mercedes Benz? No, I don't. I just got a Mia Mazda. Just got me a Mazda. A used one, by the way. The health and wealth pastors and preachers. I'm not saying that you can't be wealthy and healthy, but that's not the message. I'm not saying that at all. That's not Christianity's central message. God's blessed you with the ability to earn an income or the gifts did you, that's something else. But what they said, hey, we don't have silver and gold. We don't have what you're looking for, material things. But what we do have, we'll give you. And what did they say? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What do we have, church? We have the name of Jesus. We have authority in Jesus' name to minister, to serve. That's what we have. And it's the most powerful gift that we could ever have as a church. Are we using it? So, Peter didn't have money, but he had the name of Jesus. There's a 
Christian uh, commentator Lasor, he says, It is not the church's business in this world to simply make the present condition more bearable. Now, we see people suffering, but it's not the, the church's or business to just simply make everybody's present condition more bearable. The task of the church is to release here on earth the redemptive work of Christ. The task of the church is to give them more than what their physical needs are, and that is to meet their spiritual needs. So we give what we have. What do we have? The name of Jesus. So some of you will come to me as pastor and you'll share with me some issues in your life and I'll do my best to try and counsel you, biblically speaking, give you some verses to consider, give you some things to think about uh, the best I can. I mean, I do have a, a degree in counseling, but I don't consider myself at all capable of actually really doing it per se, uh, you know. Uh, and so a lot of times I'll hear a lot of stuff and sometimes I'll say, hey, slow down a little bit. Like, maybe it might be better if I don't know all the details. <laughs> Seriously. Why? Because what I'm going to do always is say, hey, I, I'm, I'm glad I got to talk to you. I'm here for you. Uh, this is what I could say to you with, that I know about. But the most important thing I could ever do for you is to point you back to Christ and pray for you. It's the most important thing I could ever do. And you say, well, you didn't give me any answers because I, I, I don't have them. But I, could, I have the authority to tell you, get into God's word, get it into a walk with the Lord that's closer, and you may discover why you're going through these present things. He may be using them to bump you over to him. I don't know sometimes why you're going through what you're going through. I don't even know sometimes why I'm going through the things I'm going through. I prefer not to go through some of them. But God's... <laughs> I like George because he's more reactive. Than That's a pretty good one, huh, George? I mean, do you always know why you're going through what you're going through? That's the point of it, is to drive you to Christ. And so we, we, we give what we have, and it's the name of Jesus. And so this man, not knowing, even though he was asking for money, he uh, was uh, and received much more than he had ever imagined. What did he receive? He was completely healed and converted to Christ. Because he went into that temple and he praised God. He got something better than what he thought. God always has something better in mind for us. Jesus not only wanted to change his physical condition, he want, that is to heal his body, but more importantly, he wanted to save his soul. And so God did, does both. Lastly, and we'll cut this short. What's the last point that we see here and purpose of ministry and of serving God? Okay, let me go over the first three first. We need to know him and his divine resources personally. Number two, we need to gaze and look at the human need and then point people to look at us and the one whom we serve. Then we need to share the power of God with them. We need to be a channel through which God works. And then lastly, what happens when we genuinely serve God in a biblical manner is that God is glorified. Look what happens in verse 8 and 9. Leaping up, he stood and began to walk. He was lame. He was paralyzed from birth, some kind of disease. 
Who knows what it was? And then after Peter gave him what he had in the name of Jesus, I, I ask you to rise, to walk. And he did, right? What, what did he do? He began to walk. This is God's miraculous power. He entered the temple walking with them, leaping, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. They were going, wait a minute, isn't it that one dude who, who's always sitting here on the side? I remember when we lived in Turkey, uh, we used to go to um, a Protestant church, because that's how it works in the military. You either go to a, the Jewish side of the church. It's the same building, by the way, just different hours when they had services. So it would be the Jewish church, it would be the Catholic church, and then it would be the Protestant. And I remember there was a guy outside of the church, because we lived in the city, but the church was reserved for the military, for the Air Force. And he sat in a wheelchair collecting money. Just like this guy was, right outside the temple. Well, he was right outside the church. And the rumor had it that he was the richest man in Izmir. I mean, it's a pretty lucrative business. But what happened here? He got something way beyond what he expected. That's how it is when we serve the Lord. And the, the result of our labors is that God always does more than we ever imagined. God, if we didn't have a Lord like that, if we didn't have a God like that, what are we doing serving him? If we didn't believe that, he's all-powerful. And it says that, he went walking in there, leaping and praising God, and all the people saw him walking and praising God. So he became a witness, and he was able to give testimony of God's touch to his life. That's what I think is important. So God's glorified when the Holy Spirit works in our lives, right? And we reach others. In this case, one individual... Peter reached one individual, but that individual, other people saw him. So all of a sudden, this multiplication process takes place. Others came to, uh, to Christ. It, the masses heard of this miracle. So you want to know what it means to be a servant of God? Right? Well, do you know God personally? And his marvelous resources? And you want to help people with what God's given you? Are you concerned for the needs of others so that when you see them, you want to help? Are you willing to be a channel for God's glory? So often, and this is kind of leading into next Sunday's sermon, so often we think God called us to be what? The vehicle for change instead of the channel for change. We're just a channel. The vehicle is him. He's the one driving in, if you will. We're just the channel. We're not the vehicle. And simply, our job is to channel what he has given us. To receive his riches and then to share them with others. That's what it means to serve God. Amen? There's a verse in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 6.10. And like Paul, we can acknowledge that we were or are as poor, yet making many rich. When it comes to ministry, all of us are bankrupt. We have nothing to offer except 
what we received. And what have we received? The name of Jesus. That's what we received. Making and then through our poverty, but our willingness to be a channel, we're making others spiritually rich in the knowledge of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the challenge for this year. I couldn't be any more honest with you. If we really want to make an impact in this community, we need to understand we're not here volunteering. We're here as his servants. So then we need to ask ourselves the question, what am I doing with what the Lord has given me? And I can help you discover those things. That's why when you come to me with your eyes all lit up and you say, Pastor, Pastor, I got an idea. And I'm really sitting there listening because I know I can't do everything. I want to, but I can't. And I say, oh, that's a really good idea, Jesus. Do it. Sister Vanessa, thank you so much for all your efforts these last couple of weeks. We have a lot to learn from that. That sermon is based on what we experienced. We as a church need to learn how to share better. And I praise God for your, your efforts and your family's efforts and you're going to go get it. We're, we're, we're going to continue to lean in on the Lord and allow him to help us grow in that area of serving. Amen? It's a wonderful. Thank you for setting up the, the Lord's Supper over here. Hermanos, Camila, thank you. Thank you for uh, the praise group for uh, Cassandra and, and, of course, Adriana and Tanya and uh, Ade. Thank you for your participation in preparing for this. We want to do it 100% and 100% for the Lord. And I'm privileged and I'm honored to be able to stand up here every Sunday. Pray for me as your pastor. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you. As the new year begins, Lord, we want to learn more about what it means to serve you and what it means to being a servant of God. But we want to do it, Lord, biblically, and we want to have a healthy understanding. And we see one this morning in Acts 3. We thank you, Lord. We pray that you allow these ideas and these concepts, these principles to sink into our hearts. We're going to take the Lord's Supper now, Lord. So we ask you to bless our time in, in the Lord's Supper as we look at Christ and what he did for us at Calvary's cross. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.